condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network, the world for people who think... Hello and welcome to another edition of Behind the Headlines. Today is Sunday, May the 15th, and I'm your host, Elon Martin, and with me in our virtual studio today and from across the pond, we have Mr. Joe Quinn. Hi there. Shane LeChance. Great to be here. Great to have you. Carolyn McCallum. Hi. Corey Schink. Hello, everybody. And Harrison Coley. Hi. Sought editors all. Well, it's a lot of people. It's a lot of people, a lot to talk about. Today we're going to be talking about The Empire Strikes Back. Not the film, oh, the book. but some actual real live developments we're seeing on the world's geopolitical stage, particularly involving uh, BRICS, the countries involving BRICS, and the land of the home and the free, the USA, and their attempts to undermine democracy in various BRICS countries. And so I think we should start today with Brazil, since some of the most dramatic events have been occurring in Brazil with the suspension of Dilma Rousseff, the democratically elected uh, leader of Brazil, and one of the key um, proponents of the BRICS organization that we've been um, cheering on and and hearing about as a answer to uh, the U.S.'s unipolar uh, world. Um, Shane, did you want to give us a quick rundown of the events we've been seeing there in the past few weeks and particularly in the last few days? Sure. Um, well, so this past Thursday, we saw uh, the vice president, Michelle Temer, uh, take control of the presidential office after um, after the Brazilian Senate had voted to move forward with the trial uh, for impeachment for uh, Dilma Rousseff. And uh, this, it's, it's, I mean, reading through all this stuff, it's, it's, it's just a complete joke because these guys who, you know, who voted for her impeachment, who were organizing the impeachment, like it's just layer after layer of corruption from the people who are trying to impeach uh, Rousseff aren't about on 15, corruption. Aren't about 15 of them facing charges on their own? Well, yeah, when, when you go down the line, so uh, uh, Timmer, he's, he's, he's second in line. And you know, he's, he just has all this corruption that he's facing. He has, uh, he's facing impeachment himself. Um, <laughs> like, like he, he, ha- he, has, he has an approval of, say, like 1% to 2%. 
mean, how how bad can you be to have an approval rating that low? And this is a guy who could never be elected into office himself. I mean, he's he's that bad. Uh, well, and even Glenn Greenwald wrote an article recently, and uh, there was a video about it in Young Turks, pointing out that he's actually banned from... Mm-hmm. From seeking from any, office. from running yeah. for any kind of political yeah. office for eight years, for the next eight years, <laughs> and he just became president. He's only got two percent support in Brazil, and now he's running the place. Right, but he's going to unify the country, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and he's going to That's unify. He's already unified it. Uh, in his first day in office, he uh, he, well, he formed his new cabinet, composed entirely of males. The Which first is- for the first time since 1979, an all male cabinet. In Brazilian, in the Brazilian government, um, all these there's no black or brown people on the cabinet. There, no one representing social movements. Um, so he really unified the the government, at least the cabinet, and he eliminated ministries like the ministries of um, human rights, agriculture, the environment, culture, racial equality. Yeah. Oh, and just, yeah, just what science and technology. As the icing on the cake, too. Um, in the same article, he writes that. Uh, this uh, this teamer guy is planning quote planning to appoint Goldman Sachs and IMF officials to run the economy. Cool. Good job. Hey, the democracy. Amen. Um, yeah, I mean, how anybody can not see this as a as an obviously as a as a coup, you know? What what you guys just described there basically um, is is. The essence of, of a coup, you have a, a corrupt, uh, arrogant, kind of evil uh, guy shunted into power who has no support in the country whatsoever, and uh, and that's and what and what gets removed to put him in place is uh, a, a, a government that was that did have uh, the support of the majority of the electorate. So, I mean, when that happens, when you go from that one. Uh, 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 as close to a, a real democracy as you can get to, to what you have now, a, a, a strong man, kind of fascist type in power who no one wants there. Well, what else is? How? What else can you call that other than a coup? I mean, it's not a normal process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the charges against Rousseau are totally trumped up. Well, that, that's the thing too. When you look at what the charges are. Yeah, she's she's. There's no evidence for that that has been found for you know any kind of corruption on her part or uh, any kind of criminal act. You know, this is all based on this uh, car wash investigation, which involves uh, the NSA. Uh, you know, that was exposed through like WikiLeaks, some of those last year. But this has been ongoing for you know the last couple of years, and nothing of substance has come out actually a bit uh, about Rousseff. Um, the only thing that they're trying to like, you know, up in arms about is that she tried to. Um, uh, she fudged the books a little. Well, mm-hmm. that's 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 the that's basis. The but that's what that's what all countries are are basically doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's not it's not a criminal act in itself. Uh, what she did, you know, is basically moving money from one government agency to another to, yeah, basically look like. The economy wasn't as bad as it is, you know, and you know, that's something that the Obama administration does, the Bush administration does. It's something that you know all countries are, are basically doing because the economy is so bad, and because uh, the U.S. is 
basically at the center of, of just causing this massive economic destruction. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one of, one of the things that she did that uh, supposedly caused outrage was uh, the former president of Brazil, uh, he uh, Lulu, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, he was also implicated in these car wash investigations, and she basically gave him a position uh, to so that he'd have to be investigated by the Supreme Court rather than uh, undergo the, these other charges. But um, <laughs> going down the line, so you have this 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 Temer guy who has all these you know uh, these charges of corruption and. Um, yeah, initially, like the uh, it was one of the uh, let me see this Eduardo Cuna. So he's he's the president of the Chamber of Deputies, and he's he's one of the people who brought the the charges against for impeachment uh, against um, Rousseff, and uh, there were also charges these um, impeachment charges against Temer. He. He basically argued for them to be dismissed, and they were. However, the Supreme Court later said that the that that wasn't valid, and the impeachment charges against Temer will, will follow. So this Kuna guy, he himself <laughs> has also been removed from the Speaker of the House or whatever other position he had, uh, based on his involvement in you know this uh, this car wash scandal. So you know and. <laughs> You just go down the line, and it's 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 just a, it's a complete farce because these guys are so so corrupt, and they're trying to say that you know Rousseff is corrupt, and you know there's there's nothing there for for that, but yeah, so it's just this completely absurd um, uh, circus. Well, yeah, they uh, in the of the members of Congress, I think in Brazil there's 594 members. Uh, I was just reading that 318 are under investigation for, uh, or they, or actually face criminal charges already for their corruption. And so, you know, this whole, you know, I'm not sure if it's all traced back to Operation Car Wash, but this has definitely put a lot of pressure on them to scapegoat somebody. And I think Rousseff, obviously, she faces no real charges, no um, uh, of financial misappropriation uh, that are really substantial. But she still uh, functions as a scapegoat uh, for all of these other corrupt individuals, so they can try and avoid their own um, their own trials. Well, oh. they they couldn't get um, you know a third guy in office through you know through through democracy or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and you know it's been I think the last four elections have all voted in. Um, They've gone to the workers' party. Yeah, the workers' party. So. So when when that doesn't work, just stage a coup. Well, this this has all been kind of in the works for a long time. Um, Mm -hmm. Wade and Madison wrote Madison wrote an article back in May of 2014 when the BRICS really started to be a serious possibility and you know deals were being struck and agreements signed and all this other stuff. That um, it uh, he wrote an article called Obama prepares to smash the BRICS during the last few years of his office. Um, so even just the hint of, of any kind of threat to U.S. hegemony 
uh, was enough to set wheels in motion. It was just a matter of finding the particular mechanisms. Uh, Brazil, in fact, I think would have been a target anyway, regardless of whether it was involved in BRICS, because it is just such a resource-rich country that that the U.S. would be eyeing it regardless. And then the fact that it is, you know, preparing to to get into this alliance with Russia and, and the other groups was was just kind of the final straw. But you know, it just added more incentive to um, actions that I think would have been taken anyway. And another right, interesting yeah. thing about uh, this uh, Michael Temer, uh, the interim president of Brazil, is that according to WikiLeaks, he provided um, intelligence mm-hmm. to the NSA. Um, and I mean, if 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 that isn't uh, if that isn't smoking gun evidence of the fact that the, you know he is aligned with uh, U.S. hegemony and um, and really has no kind of uh, loyalty to the to the workers and to the people of Brazil. I don't know what is. Yeah, absolutely. It. it um, I mean, this as Carolyn was saying, there. This goes back uh, several years. You know, they've been plotting this for several years, um, and it's following. It followed the same process as as most other kind of coups that have been staged by the U.S. Uh, around the world for for the past well. 60, 70, 80 years. Mm-hmm. Um, you basically have economic warfare, political destabilization, and of course a media war. You know, those three go together. I mean, you look at uh, maybe the most recent example of note would be the kind of Maidan uh, Ukraine uh, coup um, and uh, a couple of years ago where you had a lot of people, you know, mobilized onto the street this whole idea of op- an open society and getting you know these these kind of useful idiot groups that are set up with foreign money to get out onto the streets and have a have protests and stuff you know and um, that's been ongoing in brazil for at least a, a couple of years uh financed by you know foreign money but also kind of western or u.s aligned brazilian money and um yeah, I mean, it's uh, in the case of this interim president guy. It's the same with the uh, with uh, Yanukovych in in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. It's it's it was just necessary to get um, Yanukovych out of power, do anything just to get him gone uh, in whatever way you can, and shunt someone into power. Uh, and that's what they've done in in Brazil. You know, they've trumped up charges against. Uh, against Rusev and uh, strong-armed and manipulated and bribed and blackmailed various kind of players within the, within the Brazilian government and Senate and, uh, and just get that done, you know, get her, get some legal document signed where she's has to, be, where she's suspended or removed or has to flee the country or something and you get people in and then you can start the process of changing everything up, you know, and that's what they're doing, you know. Well, I think um, all, all we're missing is is a leaked phone call saying, you know, Timar's our guy. Right. Right. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah. Well, we do. I mean, we have something similar in the 2010 U.S. Special Forces uh, Manual for Unconventional Warfare, uh, where they say the the intent of U.S. unconventional warfare efforts is to exploit a hostile power's political, military, economic, and psychological vulnerabilities by developing and sustaining resistance forces to accomplish U.S. strategic objectives. And for the foreseeable future, the U.S. will be uh, engaged in this. And this was in 2010. Uh And then they said that the central objective behind this is to disrupt multipolar transnational connective projects 
through externally provoked identity conflicts, ethnic, religious, political, etc., within a targeted transit state. So, I mean, that's exactly what we're seeing right now. You know, they didn't say in 2016 we're going to topple Rousseff in Brazil, but, you know, you read between the lines, you can see that's exactly what happened there in Brazil. Well, and, and looking at this, you know, I think it could easily get confusing because people say, well, you know, what's going to happen now, um, now that, you know, all these people on both sides of the aisle are, you know, going to be charged with uh, corruption, possibly impeach one after the other, who knows. Um, but the key really is the chaos, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just it causing just, this turmoil that destabilizes the region. And nothing gets done. Yeah. <clears throat> right. And you know what really, really gets my goat, if you know what that means, or what really bugs me, is that, um, you know, the media just ignores the glaringly obvious fact that this is a, a coup and that uh, it's not like they don't have any evidence or precedence for that to happen. I mean, in Brazil in 1964, it's kind of a matter of historical record that the CIA was involved uh, directly in the coup in Brazil in 1964, which involved the overthrow of a democratic leader and the installment of a right-wing fascist junta that went on to torture and kill thousands of people, mm-hmm. including, not kill, but torture, including Dilma Rousseff, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who was uh, an activist at the time. And, I mean, just to give you an idea of the kind of disgusting people that are rising to the, to the top here as a result of this, uh, there's a guy who voted for her in, in, uh, impeachment recently. Um, his name's uh, Jair Bolsonaro. He's a right-wing kind of lower house deputy, and he dedicated his vote in favor of impeachment of uh, of Rousseff to uh, a colonel. His name was uh, <laughs> it's funny, uh, Carlos Alberto Brillante Ultra, uh, the colonel who headed uh, a feared basically uh, the main torture unit in the 1970s wow. in Brazil. Uh, was responsible for for torturing her, and he publicly in the parliament dedicated wow. his vote to impeaching her uh, uh, to this guy. So that's kind of uh, scumbags that uh, are being that that always gets shunted to the top when you have a, mm-hmm. a, a U.S.-inspired coup, you know? Well, it, it's, you know, you see a bunch of protests occurring right now in support of, of Rousseff, but, I mean, you know, just, uh, you know, weeks ago and in previous years, I mean, people were buying the line, you know, from the media that's owned by, you know, mega-rich families in Brazil that, you know, Rousseff was, this is corruption and, you know, she has to go and all of this uh uh, you know this nonsense. Uh, this nonsense. Yeah, exactly. When you know she was, uh, uh, they couldn't get their people into power before because her and her her you know advisor, the the previous uh, president Lula, had uh, brought you know millions of people out of poverty. Um, mm-hmm. You know they had done a lot to restore Brazil. You know, following like you said, those decades of you know torture and destruction that well, resulted in the U.S. And the, the the other unfortunate thing for for Dilma is that Lula had been popular for years and years and years during Brasilia's boom years. I mean, when things are going well, your leaders, you know, you're happy with them. But mm. she also got caught up in the U.S. instigated oil crash because Brazil's Petrobras is like like the engine, the economic engine of the country. So right. people who can't see the larger picture only know that things used to be good. Now they're bad. She's in charge. It's all her fault. Right. Well, why don't people um, question? People, people don't obviously people don't read the news, don't listen to what's going on and stuff. But you have to wonder. You know, the uh, Obama 
um, recently renewed an executive order. Uh, basically, they, they call it the it's uh, declaring a state of declaring a national emergency, um, and he said, uh, I mean, it's the same wording for they've, they've declared national emergencies, you know, like fifty three times or something in the last forty years, uh, but. He recently renewed these, this order that he had uh, um, signed last year, and it, and the wording of it is that. Um, sorry, I'm talking about Venezuela here. We're going to get onto that a bit later. Anyway, it just makes it kind of makes point. But Venezuela, uh, which we'll maybe talk about a little bit uh, later, because it's pretty much the same. I'm not. I have to look to see if they actually, if he signed an order like this for Brazil. But uh, the wording is Venezuela constitutes an unusual and extraordinary threat to the national security and foreign policy of the United States. I mean, how does how does anybody get away with just justifying that? I mean, um, I mean they do this with, for countries all the time. You know, I mean, countries like you know, ten thousand miles away, they're going to say unusual and extraordinary threat to the national security and foreign policy of the United States. Of course, that covers a lot, you know. And in the case of um, Brazil, they. Um, the the threat obviously is financial and um, you know a, a power threat effectively of uh, the threat of uh, reducing America's um, influence nox uh, noxious or toxic influence in the world obviously but uh, that's that's their problem and that's what they um, uh, that's what they fear and they they they, they covered up with you know uh, fancy so- sounding or noble sounding ideals like uh, you know, either it's a threat to our national security or, you know, um, it's to spread freedom and democracy or blah, 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 you know. So, um, but the interesting thing about, uh, Carolyn, you mentioned that uh, Petrobras, the Brazilian, it's the biggest company in Brazil, that, mm. uh, it's, it's a Brazilian oil company. It's been having a really hard time with the same uh, all through the past, uh, the, the, this process of, of getting rid of Rusev um, and it's been in fact it's been a major uh, target of the of the economic attack on Brazil mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and you mentioned uh, that uh, obviously Brazil is a has large oil reserves and has generates a lot of income from its its oil uh, production and uh, that was hit uh, obviously in in recent in the recent uh, 12 months or in the last last 12 months or or so with the uh, with the drop in in oil price, which at the time everybody was saying this was aimed at, well, everybody who had any sense was saying this was aimed at Russia, mm-hmm. trying to hurt Russia economically by dropping, by encouraging the getting the Saudis to increase their output. Well, uh, I think so it, it was pla- for 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 hurting mm-hmm. any competitor. Right, anybody, and it applies to Venezuela, applies to Brazil, applies to Russia. So it was uh, all of these these countries that were going to be hit by it, and they have been hit by it. Uh, it's it's caused serious problems, and at the same time, Petrobras come under a, a kind of um, over the past couple of years come under a, a bribery and corruption kind of scandal as well that is being uh, spearheaded by the U.S. Department of Justice. You know, I mean, what is, what is the U.S. Department of Justice doing? I mean, they say, okay, there's some money coming through the U.S., therefore we have jurisdiction, but it's like ridiculous. You know, it just shows very clearly that uh, that, that we really do live in a, in, a, in a kind of under an empire, you know, a U.S. empire when a, uh, the U.S. Can, D- Department of Justice can uh, open a corruption case against 
you know, the the major oil producing company in, in a country thousands of miles away, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like they're the world police, basically, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, the, the the interesting thing is that, I mean, <clears throat> Petrobras has... Uh, the, the, basically, the the revenues for the Brazilian government, for Rousseff's government, have been have uh, seriously dropped because of um, the drop in oil price, which was kind of largely orchestrated by the US and in league with the Saudis and other OPEC members. And um, at the same time, the uh, that's not enough, obviously. Uh, I mean, it, it hits the Brazilian economy hard, but it's not enough. So what they do is that um, they also stage attacks on the Brazilian currency, the real, I think it's called, um, and that drops the the value of the um, of the currency. Meaning that, uh, and this is where it gets back to Petrobras and their their debts. Basically, their debts have skyrocketed because of all all of their debts are denominated in dollars, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because well, most I think eighty percent of their debts are denominated in dollars, so. They now have to pay back far more dollars than they have been taking in recently because of the attack on the currency. Because they're making their uh, domestic revenues in the local Brazilian currency, but that, now that's not worth anywhere near as much in dollars. Therefore, their debts have skyrocketed. And it's an uh, impossible situation for them. So yeah, they just put them in. They put them in this really tight bind, you know. And that's and it's pure evil what they do. But uh, but again. Uh, in terms of what what's in it for the U.S., it's not just about uh, kind of bringing these countries to heel. Obviously, it involves coups and getting rid of you know, changing governments and stuff. But they also want access to the resources mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. the of Brazil, Brazil's uh, natural resources, particularly oil. I mean, um, so some U.S. company swoops in and says, "We'll we'll help you out with your debt burden. You give us access." Right. Well, or or uh, they just open it up. Basically, you know, it's kind mm-hmm. of neoliberal doctrine of opening up countries' economies, you know, basically privatizing. I mean, most of Brazil's, there's, Brazil has major gas fields uh, that uh, under Rousseff and Lula before him were, for her were, um, they were not, uh, it couldn't be explored by or, or tapped into by foreign companies. Mm-hmm. And um, and this is something that obviously that in the press has been even uh, cited as, as angering Washington uh, this blocking of major U.S. oil and mining companies from getting back into Brazil. Uh, and instead of, I mean, uh, Brazil, as part of the BRICS, has been looking to China to explore its oil. And this really pisses off the Americans. And this, that's, that alone is a motivation for the Americans to, to have a coup. You know, they see red, basically, you know, mm-hmm. when that happens. But they're saying now that uh, um, with Rousseff... Uh, gone legislation to liberalize these uh, offshore, particularly offshore oil fields, uh, legislation to liberalize them, i.e. open them up to American um, companies, will uh, come probably much more swiftly now that she's gone. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's motivations and opportunity, means more of an opportunity all over the place. On this one for the U.S. to be, have, be up to its neck in it, you know. Yeah, and a multitude of, of incentives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know the the really sad thing about this whole um, turn of events, it's actually really reminiscent of uh, the coup in Ukraine of, of a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, you have 
some people, the general population, who might have some legitimate grievances. Um, you know, there, there's this uh, kind of co-opting of, um, you know, as you said before, Joe, you, you have these useful idiot kind of organizations um, mounting campaigns and, and, uh, and stating how corrupt the government is and how things should be a lot better. Um, I mean, look at the situation in Ukraine two years later. It, it, it's infinitely worse than it, than it was two years ago. And because of the media, because of the controlled media in Brazil that's in, in the pockets of these elites, um, you have a good many people who just don't understand the dynamics of, of what's been happening there now. And, um, and you know, with this new kind of right-wing group, uh, we're going to see all kinds of um, cuts to social services and uh, jobs are going to be cut and civil servants' jobs are going to be uh, reduced and it's just going to it's going to take a, a very terrible turn for the worse in a very short period of time. It, it's this kind of like repeating cycle that we see whenever the U.S. comes in, um, you know, gets their gets their people in power, and almost instantly we see this kind of downward trend for the quality of life for for the people in those countries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's gonna they're going to push it to the point where, uh, and this is where the problem with you know, psychopath, psychopathic types and positions of power, they don't seem to realize that uh, people do have a kind of breaking point, you know. They'll take so much abuse, but when you, when these people just keep sticking their hand in and taking more and more and their greed is insatiable uh, and they basically start to run the country into the ground, that they don't realize that they'll, uh, that the people do have a, a kind of breaking point and they will, uh, you know, get out in the streets and kind of like go go nuts. You know, go go bonkers. We're not talking here about some kind of uh, uh, you know reasonably non-violent kind of public demonstration or something. We're talking about a, a situation where people are put into really intolerable uh, in, in an intolerable position, and when they get out on the streets, when the people because uh, there's only a very small percentage of the population of any country that would ever get out on the streets and have a, a normal a normal dem- demonstration. So um, the, uh, the 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 people when the rest of the population are forced to get out onto the street, then you've got uh, serious issues because you know you know people are seriously um, uh, seriously hurting hurting basically. You know, are we talking French Revolution time? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. And, and I suppose they think they they can they've they've got that covered too. You know, with their kind of. With their jackbooted thugs uh, and, and their high-tech weapons and stuff, but you know that kind of thing hasn't been seen really in in, in anybody's li- in living memory or even in modern history. Really, you know, mm-hmm. that can be remembered in any in any detailed way. So, especially not in our modern high-tech kind of society and stuff. And with, with so many people, you know, that's the big difference. Is like you look back over history, uh, the, the way the population of the planet has grown. I mean, you know. Uh, you know, sixty or seventy years ago, there was a third of the population that's on the planet right now. Um, so, just the, the the amount of people <coughs> that are there that are available to be abused, and and therefore available to come out onto the streets and go bonkers, is just uh, it's crazy, you know. And I don't think anybody has any uh, has any yardstick by which to to measure uh, or to anticipate where that would go or what would happen. And of course, the you know the insane psychopathic reaction to that is to see that as an investment opportunity, 
Uh, there's this thought article up recently about you know the multi-billion dollar you know riot gear industry that'll be that'll be growing uh, you know just astronomically in the next few years, and they saw that as a big time to you know get your money in and start investing in riot gear and you know and tear cannons and and what and whatnot. So you know they, it's not like they're they're unaware. It's just that they're really you know just blind to the ramifications, the consequences of. Of their actions, and they just think that they'll just keep taking, you know, slices of the pie until you know the end of time. Yeah, and other little examples of um, of how this is, you know, the <coughs> the, the U.S. government, uh, the U.S. Um, kind of uh, corporation or whatever you want to call it, uh, U.S. entity has been marshalling all of its forces against Brazil. You know, you have places like uh, companies like Halliburton and another kind of contractor. Uh, infrastructure kind of uh, oil infrastructure companies like that uh, that have been working and operating in Brazil and providing services they all kind of pulled out just within the past couple of months uh, citing that they weren't able they weren't getting uh, revenue paid you know they weren't getting the money because yeah well because um, because Brazil had come under serious sustained economic attack by the same kind of more or less by the same companies you know and then they blame them for it effectively and say we, we have to leave thereby kind of worsening the, situ- the situation by, by removing their their any any help or, or um, input they had into keeping that sector of the Brazilian economy going and um, but the funny thing is on those days that um, Halliburton and a few other of these companies declared that they were pulling out because they weren't getting their uh, their 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 bills paid basically, um, their share price on the New York Stock Exchange went up <laughs> on the day that they announced that they're pulling out of Brazil. So what does that mean? Well, obviously the market is is much more clued in and savvy to how these things work than uh, than the average person is. You know, the average person would think, well, that's a bad idea. You just pulled out of a, a place where you actually make a lot of money. But no, apparently the market was quite happy about that because the market knows what's coming. The market knows what's behind it all. The market knows that Halliburton will be back in there, hopefully in a year's time, making ten times as much, mm-hmm. and taking effectively taking bread out of the mouths of of, of Brazilian children. You know. Well, so what uh, what options does Rousseff have have at this point? Because, um, you know, I think she's a fairly intelligent woman and leader. And if you just look at history, if you look at the 1964 coup, I mean, Goulart mm. was the guy, and he. He actually resigned because he wanted to kind of pacify the situation, and that ended up being not a good choice. We saw what happened after that, and it's the same thing with Ukraine, where the there's a coup and just it's allowed to happen, and the country goes just totally downhill mm-hmm. within you know within the next well uh, immediately. But we look at Ukraine now; it's been two years, and Ukraine's basically not even a country anymore. It's ruled by. I mean, the central government has no power. It's ruled by these oligarchs and kind of almost like mm-hmm. mob mentalities in the different regions. It's just, it's a joke of a country. And so is is Rousseff just going to kind of stand down and not do anything? Or does she have any options? What do you guys think? Or what should she do in an ideal world? Well, in my opinion, one thing that would be nice to see is the Chavez option exercised by the people of yeah. Brazil. I mean, it'd be nice if, you know, if they heard this um, Congress member, uh, you know, idolizing a torture uh, commander, you know, from, you know, their, mm-hmm. their, you know, dark years. And they took to the streets in mass and demanded that Rousseff be put back into power and, you know, and then mm-hmm. actual 
corruption charges be leveled against all of these uh, idiots uh, in power. But, you know, that's obviously not something that Rusev has control over. Um, but mm-hmm. that's that's what I would like to see. Yeah, I mean, I think the 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 horses kind of bolted. The horses bolted on that one to a certain extent, uh, although it remains to be seen. But what uh, Rusev should have done, I think she was a little bit naive, um, which is surprising. Um, but then, who knows? But um, she should take she should have taken a leaf out of uh, Chavez's book, you know. And Chavez understood the situation a lot better, and he, I think, he made sure uh, the main thing that he that he made sure was in place was that the military was primed and mm-hmm. ready uh, on his side and, and primed and ready uh, to act at any at any moment like this. So um, rather than having uh, a kind of repeat of, uh, of of the traditional Latin American coup where you have this military kind of junta, a psychopathic military junta, a general or something that comes in and takes power, you have a decent military personnel who understand what's at stake and they the military can come in and basically declare martial law mm-hmm. but it's not in the normal uh, kind of mold of the way those things go it's basically the military that is on the side of the people you know uh, it's not going to go and start torturing them um, so I think that that's something she should have done she should have made yeah. made sure about that before but it is pretty amazing that uh, they were able to get away with what they've got away with because it's like we were just discussing at the beginning of the show um <laughs> the people who are voting, who have voted to uh, impeach um, Rousseff, are all themselves up on the same, and in fact, in many cases, worse charges mm-hmm. than she than than they are voting to impeach her for. I mean, it, it's it's uh, it's reasonable to to imagine that Rousseff herself would, would not have imagined that that could ever be achieved. You know, that you'd have basically criminals uh, impeaching someone who was uh, maybe not not even a criminal basically you know what i mean but i'm getting away with it so but i have i mean there was talk that she was going to that uh, if she was impeached this was just before the the vote on her impeachment that um that she would if she was impeached she would head off on a kind of a bricks country uh, tour basically for cuz i think it's 6 months or something like that that uh, she's been she's been suspended for uh, while they decide or or begin or look at the impeachment proceedings, uh, so that she'll go around British countries and try and I don't know, but I can't imagine what that would what that would do. The problem is she's well, she has no powers she, at this point, right? She has yeah, no authority. She's left, right? Yeah. Well, it, it you know all this just seems to kind of uh, underscore or reiterate the lessons of uh, geopolitical reality in in this world and at this time. And that is that if you don't have the um, political will or know-how or understanding um, uh, that you, you, you need force, uh, you mm-hmm. need a, a kind of political wiliness or, and, and, mm-hmm. uh, and cleverness in order mm-hmm. to outmaneuver um, mm-hmm. the, the, these uh, conniving, manipulative, uh, right-wing fascist right. powers that are being instigated and supported and by the by the right. US you know you're just not going to make it um, mm-hmm. and you know it, it's, 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 uh, it's yeah, really you can't sad. Be, you can't be you can't be a it is and you can't be a bleeding heart liberal type a naive bleeding heart liberal type you know um, when you're dealing with this kind of this kind of people you know and i mean i think uh, chavez did a 
did uh, give a very good example of that, you know, and I just kind of described the way he kind of, mm-hmm. he did realize what he was up against. And I mean, even in his rhetoric, you know, I mean, he went all out basically, you know, calling Bush a donkey at the UN and saying that he could he could still smell the su- the sulfur. It sounds like Dilma's first stop should be Moscow and get a few t- pointers. What yeah, you exactly. can do to salvage I mean, your situation. Yeah, I don't know if there's anything you can do, but um, uh, on on just on Harrison's point, of what's the point? You know, of these people, um, uh, they they go in and they you know. Look at Ukraine. It's just it's not really a country even anymore. It's a vassal kind of state. It's a it's a it's a principality of, of America or something like that, you know. And um, but I think the point is that these they don't care. The people who carry out these kind of coups don't care um, what happens to the country. Uh, yeah. All they're interested in is exploiting it and and taking out of it as much as possible. And they've done that in Ukraine in various different ways. And they're they're willing to just you know run it into the ground and they don't give a shit about the people and that's what I was saying earlier on. I mean, when you have that level of reckless, recklessness and greed mm-hmm. or reckless greed, um, uh, you're going to create, ultimately you're going to create situa- a situation, a social and an economic situation for me- most of the people or a large percentage of the people in, in the country that uh, you're going to provoke something or you're going to provoke a reaction. You yeah, know? These, these I mean, these people are, are just taking it to extremes. Yeah. There's nothing measured anymore by anything they do, you know. They've, well, the, they've lost uh, the plot, think, you know. Yeah. It seems that, that they look at a country and they, they only see a balance sheet. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. What you can know? we get out of it, you know? Right. So, well, yeah. Speaking of uh, President Maduro of uh, Venezuela, he just recently went on on television to, uh, to say that, um, uh, you know, Basically, what's been going on in Brazil is made in the USA. I mean, you know, uh, uh-huh. he he has kind of learned the lesson of um, of Chavez, his uh, his uh, you know kind of mentor. Um, uh-huh. Something else he said was that the coup in Brazil is a grave and dangerous sign for the future stability and peace of all the continent. I know they're coming for Venezuela now, and um, of course, all these opposition leaders who who've uh, gained a foothold in the Venezuelan government are they're just gunning for him and his uh, and his coalition um, but it, it seems at least that he's got the right idea that that he's mm-hmm. that he's come out in a kind of preemptive uh, message to say look at what's happening on this much larger scale pay attention well speaking yeah. of Venezuela like uh, Maduro's facing the same kind of threat that that Rousseff is fighting and well has seemingly lost at this point. Um, just a couple notes about what's going on in Venezuela. There have been there's been a wave of assassinations against um, government members and people loyal to to the government and to government officials. And um, there's this these proceedings going on. Um, I'm not sure what the details exactly, but um, there was this petition um, that was launched by. The opposition group, um, appropriately named MUD, as uh, Hugo Turner puts it on, on a global research, and basically they, the Supreme Court, is pretty much behind like the behind Maduro and fully supports him. But so they 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 squashed this um, 
this petition, but now the opposition has got this 1% signature level um, to basically reopen this case, and now they just need 20% of voters to, re- to agree to a recall referendum. And so this is, this is uh, well, Maduro's out in, in 2018, but there's just, I mean, there's, a, there's stuff going on there right now, and the CIA is doing the same thing. It's always done in South America, Latin America, with their Colombian death squads and, you know, assassinations, and just pretty much they're throwing everything they can at Venezuela at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He is trying to take some, some steps, though. There was just a news article up just yesterday saying... Uh, that Maduro's threatened the seizure of factories that have stopped production and jailing their owners. So it sounds like he's trying to get a little bit ahead of the curve. It's just whether or not he's he's in time to uh, sort of sequester stuff away from attack. So, hmm. and he has declared a state of emergency. Yeah, he, I think he continued the state of emergency or something for another sixty days, citing um, uh, basically, but you know. Mm-hmm. He's 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 commented on the Brazilian situation as a coup, which is all you know. Sane people are are aware of that, and um, he's saying that they're emboldened by um, by their success with yeah, getting rid of Yusef, and they're redoubling their efforts now in Venezuela. And um, yeah, I mean, Venezuela is in a, in a similar in a similar position. It, it's got the largest uh, oil reserves in the world. Um, but it's having serious problems with its uh, with its income, particularly over the past uh, year, eighteen months uh, since mm-hmm. um, since the uh, since the oil price drop, um, yeah. and 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 all sorts of other you know speculations or attacks on the on the Venezuelan uh, currency, and all sorts of other behind the scene manipulations uh, going on. You know, as much as the U.S. can do with its uh, with its fingers on the on the kind of global economy switch, you know. Um, IMF and the World Bank and all that stuff, you know. Yeah. Well, he said uh, he is at least, you know, being really, you know, upfront about it the way he was about Brazil. He says the state of emergency was needed to combat foreign aggression, and he's actually running military exercises to counter foreign threats. So, hmm. you guys, he's a little bit awake. It looks like we might have a caller here. So, cool. caller, are you on the line? Yes, I am. Hi, can you tell us who you are? Do you have a question or a comment? Yeah, yeah this is Stephen in uh, Orlando, Florida. Hi, Stephen. Welcome back. Okay, hey, Stephen. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah. Stephen. Long time yeah, no talk. Yeah. Good to speak with you all again. Um, yeah, I find this uh, situation with uh, with Rousseff in Brazil to be a very ominous uh, development because um, – <clears throat> The the oligarchy wants to. This is obvious. It's here. It exists here and everywhere in the globe. The oligarchy wants to reduce everything to uh, economics. So economic power al- always trumps um, every other type of organization politically. And um, now with Rousseff out right now, they're going to get emboldened. And I think I just read on your. Um, on your chat link, somebody mentioned that um, that um, Argentina, the Kirchner, she was indicted on Friday. Mm-hmm. Do, do you know if that's correct? Well, I didn't hear about it, but um, I can look it up really quick. Okay, yeah, I just saw that when I was waiting to for y'all to answer. But um, yeah, she, she yeah she was indicted two days ago. 
Yeah, so this is the this is their their new uh, strategy when they cannot um, beat when they cannot um, beat the popular forces through the uh, ballot box, then they'll just indict everybody and destroy these political organizations. And um, you know that United States is totally on board with this, and um, Hillary Clinton. Is uh, you know, she's totally down with this with the ne- with the neocons, and um, that's why that's why I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of putting my hopes on the the idea that Trump might win, and I'm not going to, but I'm not going to vote for Trump. But um, you know, I have experience in uh, with the, supporting the the Chavistas in Venezuela, and now watching that be destroyed. I was in uh, Honduras. After the coup there, Hillary supported and Obama supported coup there. And now they're going after uh, Kirchner in uh, Argentina. So this is, looks like their their latest uh, game plan is to uh, have the uh, work with the oligarchy and destroy all popular forces through the, the ballot box, through the judiciary. And um, wow, it, it's pretty it's pretty on, ominous uh, development. Yeah. And. Um, I was wondering what what are y'all's um, what are y'all's uh, ideas about this situation with uh, Hillary versus uh, Trump? Um, I, like I said, I, I find the uh, I cannot vote for Trump, nor can I vote for Hillary, so I'm going to sit this one out. Um, I can't vote for Trump just because of the brazen way he he stoked up uh, um, racialized fears among the population to position himself to the to the right of his uh, competitors. And that's how he that's how he's come, you know, to dominate in in to be in the position he's in today. So uh, but when I look at Hillary, um, I just see her as I see her as more of a neocon, you know, geopolitically uh, in an imperialist geopolitically than I perceive Trump to be. And that doesn't mean that that Trump can't just fall in line with the the neo the neocon consensus in United States uh, imperialist politics, but I just see uh, Trump might Trump might be outside the box a little bit with regard to this. Well, what, what do y'all thought on that? Even even though you know he's uh, not as much of a neocon, he is certainly uh, neoliberal, and mm-hmm. you know, he he stands for. All that you know is uh, capitalism and and you know, capitalistic, and, and he's he's the essence of what uh, America has kind of become. So whether it's Clinton or Trump, I think it's kind of a grand finale of uh, what's coming our way. You know, it's I think kind, that's a yeah, really it's good kind of a wash. It. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's he, kind of a wash. Yeah, he's you know he's like what you're saying, like one of the oligarchs that you, you were talking about. You know. He thinks he thinks like a guy who you know owns the planet, and you know he, and obviously he's he's got some xenophobic issues, and and like Shane said, he's a neoliberal and a capitalist who thinks that he owns everything, and he can say whatever he wants with and get away with it, do whatever he wants, and he's very thin-skinned. And I mean, but like you said, Clinton is she herself is a uh, uh, you know a psychopathic you know serial killer in my opinion. And she she enjoys to see suffering. She enjoyed to see Gaddafi die. She enjoyed seeing uh, Libya destroyed. 
and she works for those kinds of things while wearing a you know the, her liberal mask of sanity. So, like Shane said, I think it's the big grand finale for uh, for the U.S. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see. Yeah, I would just interject this that Hillary's got definitive um, blood on her hands through her actions. Trump hasn't hasn't doesn't have that blood on his hands geopolitically. Yeah. But um, I just don't see Trump going inside and shaking things up to be on a different paradigm because of all of the forces that exist within the, uh, you know, the defense, the intelligence communities, all of that. Mm. These are huge institutions that are uh, entrenched. So I just don't mm-hmm. I, with, without without a really organized movement that's actually uh, a grassroot movement that's pushing Trump forward and has some kind of like defined doctrines. I just don't I don't see Trump coming in there and doing absolutely anything that's actually more progressive or humane in any way, shape and form, given. No. The, yeah, certainly, certainly, certainly the things that he said, you know, all along as part of his um his his campaign uh, don't inspire much confidence uh, that he has a clue or has the will or the, the motivation or the intention to to do anything uh, radical and obviously it would take something pretty radical for any kind of uh, president in the US to uh, to change anything because as you were just saying uh, Stephen um you know those institutions in the US uh, have been around a long time and probably uh, kind of keep saying this whenever it comes up is that um, the last president who tried to to actually take any power back to the office of the presidency or to the president himself or herself uh, was John F. Kennedy. And he was, yeah. quite explicit. He, he, he was quite explicit about what he had to do to do that. And uh, probably the best example of that is when he uh, said that he was going to uh, break the CIA into a thousand pieces, uh, and then everybody knows what happened to him. And that was in 1962 or three. Yeah, kill, killed um, in so yeah, murdered, murder. I was going to say murdered in broad daylight. Right in broad so, daylight. Incredible. So how many years is that? It's 50 years ago. Yeah, plus 50 plus years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've had many presidents come and gone since then, and those institutions that work behind the scenes have only entrenched their themselves and their power behind the scenes. So at this stage, uh, and, and even long before now, the office of the President of the United States is little more than a ceremonial position. Um, all the presidents know that, and uh, uh, or, or they quickly become aware of it. I mean, it's basically, I often, when I think about the President of the United States, I think of the Queen of England. Uh, that's pretty much exactly yes. the same position, you know. And uh, I think Donald Trump would look really, really, really good in a nice uh, blue... Uh, one-piece dress, you know, <laughs> and, and yeah, some com- it, you know, get, comfortable shoes. Back, yeah, just just let, a final comment about the situation with Dilma Rousseff in Brazil. Um, you know, I, I followed the uh, I followed the the situation in Venezuela from the beginning. Um, interesting story. I was going out with a I was dating a uh, a young lady from Venezuela, and um, her parents were actually fascists, Pinochet supporting fascists, right? Hmm. And um, anyway, long story short, you know, with Chavez, what was what was remarkable is he got a lot done because of mass movements being mobilized. But um, he never confiscated uh, the wealth of the oligarchs, you know, the huge industries. Most of them he did not touch at all. And um, with the, the media and so forth. And 
when you can't when you can't change the ownership and the direction and control of the means of production of of pro- reproducing your society day to day from food to toilet paper to technologies when you can't control that in, in uh, you know through some kind of democratic socialist um you know structure then mm-hmm. you're going to always be um vulnerable to uh just being blackmailed and, and your government destroyed mm-hmm. through economic uh economic uh machinations and so forth so well, uh, you, you know what though that that may have been uh, a relatively smart move on his part a, a canny move because putin did the same thing you know mm-hmm. he, he for the most part has left the oligarchs alone on the condition that they all play nice so you know it might have been that that actually was the correct the correct way to handle things at the point i mean you've got the people behind you and you don't rile up the money classes too much and you can get something done yeah and i um as you just said Everybody, anybody that gets into power, or you never have any absolute power. So, um, you know, Chavez was operating within constraints, and mm-hmm. even though he did some some fairly modest uh, reforms that were to the benefit of the population, you know, it wasn't some like massive confiscation of uh, the oligarchs or throwing the oligarchs in jail. You know, like uh, like say with Cuba, you know, it wasn't like that, and Still, he was just totally vilified day in and day out in our media mm-hmm. and um, caricatured just like Putin is. And Putin uh, has left the uh, oligarchs, you know, in the markets, uh, you know, largely uh, intact. But he just he laid down the law by saying, hey, if, if you're going to be operating at cross purposes with foreign uh, powers like the United States to undermine our stability, you know, your history, you're out of here. So, Pretty much, yeah. His, his word of it, Putin's word to the oligarchs was, uh, you can be oligarchs, but you have to be Russian oligarchs, not American oligarchs. Yeah, it just makes, it makes perfect sense. And um, anyway, it's good, good listening to y'all's conversation today, and um, I look forward to listening to the rest of y'all's program. All, All right. right, thanks for Thank calling, you, Stephen. Yeah. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. See ya. Um... Yeah, that's one that uh, always gets me, you know, has got me for several years about uh, when people say, when people even wonder, you know, who would be the best president and stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like what I just said about JFK and stuff, you know, and uh, I mean, it was highlighted for me. Uh, I, I just I, I just kind of like walk away or scratch my head when I hear people even intimate that the president has any... Uh, significant power, you know. You look at someone like George Bush, who couldn't, you know, pronounce the names of most countries in the world. Uh, uh, never mind, uh, know what was going on in them, or what America would do about them, you know. But people still think that he, the, the president is a commander in chief and makes the decisions. So, I mean, you're voting for someone who doesn't really know very much and doesn't have very much influence on what happens inside your country or outside your country uh, in terms of foreign policy. I mean, you understand that, that that's who you're voting for. You're not voting for someone who actually has any power to do anything or to affect any significant change. So why would you bother? You know, um, uh, Obama recently, he was on Meet the Press or something like that. And um, uh, whatever the interviewer guy was asking him about the, uh, <laughs> the CIA's uh, or whoever, the State Department, uh, their, um, their little 
plan to arm the rebels, you know, that one that was in the news a while back. Oh, I think it cost, what did it cost, 500 million or something like that? And they ended up with five guys. <laughs> uh, five guys who were, they ended up successfully training uh, five, maybe 50 uh, Syrian so-called rebels. Mm-hmm. And 45 that one that of which <laughs> 45 defected to ISIS and five five that <laughs> stayed were uh, said that uh, they took a wrong turn in Turkey and didn't know what they were doing there. Uh, so, um, Well, not only did they defect, uh, they, they took all mind. their toys with them too. <laughs> right, right, exactly. So, yeah, exactly. It doesn't cost 500 million. They weren't paying those guys 500 million. You know? I mean, most of that was uh, weapons and arms and stuff that all went to ISIS. Yes. So, I mean, that's a oops, we accidentally gave weapons to ISIS. Silly us. What a bad idea. Yeah, uh-huh. let's not do that again. Not. Anyway, um, but he was he was talking to this guy on Meet the Press or something, uh, Obama was, and uh, the guy was asking him about this kind of, this farce of the training Syrian rebels, and Obama said his only response was that, that well, he, he didn't really agree with it at the time, uh, which brings up the question of, well, could you <laughs> not have stopped it? Because it obviously was a really bad idea from the get-go, whatever kind of like half-baked uh, general or intel operative who came up with that should have been booted out the door straight away. Why didn't you kick them out? You're the commander-in-chief, right? I mean, it just for me, it just made it clear that this guy's just, I mean, even even in pretending that he has some power, he doesn't do a very good job, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's those memes <clears throat> with uh, that compare Obama and Putin and you know they're pretty popular uh, online and i think one of the reasons is because you know it does speak to this issue that people fundamentally or instinctively maybe uh know that obama really doesn't have any power versus putin who who does and right. um yeah and and i think i think some i think americans do grasp that at some level but it's it's just that the the they're well, so... they don't get to vote for anybody else, right? Sorry, they don't. They're not offered anyone else to vote for. I mean, they may know that, but when it comes to voting, you only get the puppet, yeah, uh, offered to you to vote for. You don't get, you know, which which head of the CIA do you want to vote for? You know, you don't get that. You know. Well, uh, um... that's all. That's all appointed by Congress or appointed by the Senate or whatever. You know. These are unelected officials, all the people who have any power, who actually direct the, the course of the country and, and what does abroad are all unelected. Well, this goes back to speak to like just the, uh, I think the, the American people do have this fundamental belief in, you know, what they think is, is democracy. And, you know, the only way that I can see um, democracy impacting the people is by aligning themselves with, you know, who they think that they've elected. So, you know, they, they, mm. they, they choose this, or they think they choose this, this, uh, this patholo- who, who, this leader who ends up being this pathological person. And, you know, it kind of opens the, their mind, uh, to this poison, um, yeah. that, that, that's well, continually spread. Yeah, the thing about it is that a lot of people get, a lot of people in the U.S., for example, get by, and, and in other countries, and other Western so-called democracies, get by with the, with the idea of um, that that there, there is local, uh, local legislative bodies. You know, local. Uh, I mean, in the U.S., you have the state. Uh, what do you call them? The state uh, 
state senates and state, state senates and state, state state legislators and stuff, and even down to the local level and stuff. And they're people that you can know, and there probably are quite a lot of good people uh, at that level who are have some influence and, and control over what happens at the, at the local level. And people, you know, and that people naturally uh, tend to look to that because that's the stuff that means most to them and is, is most uh, relevant to them, you know. Uh, and that's why you have a lot of stuff in, uh, in a lot of people in the U.S. who are like, would be anti the federal government, you know, want the federal government to keep its nose out of my business and all that kind of stuff, you know. And that's, uh, that's true in, in, in a lot of countries in the, in the West, I think. But the problem is that um, uh, people down at the local level are tied to the overall course of the country and that overall course is decided uh, at a higher level, the one that people are feel disenfranchised from, mm-hmm. which they are disenfranchised from, um, and and that's the problem. You know, I mean, you can, if you're in uh, America or any other European country, yeah, you can go and talk to your local uh, politician and maybe get some things done. You can be happy enough, but you have to keep an eye on what's going on at the state level. And of course, funding a lot of times funding for local governments and stuff is uh, influenced and can be influenced by in different ways by, you know, by, by higher powers and stuff. So it's not like you're independent. Nobody is independent anywhere in the U.S., regardless of how, how much access they think they have to local, local politics or um, local uh, lawmaking, etc. Right. Um, Just because local politicians, you know, they didn't make the decision to, um, to dive bomb the oil industry and, right. you know, and destroy you know, right. the U.S. shale industry and then ruin their jobs and, and just you know right. ruin their economy, so they don't make those big scale uh, economic and political decisions that ultimately shape the the future of, of their well, life. And the, and for yeah. most people, they have no clue that that is shaping their life. You know, they maybe they right. understand. Oh, you know, my factory closed down, and now everything's made in China or whatever. So that's right. the Chinese fault or something. Um, right. Yeah. No, but they don't understand. <laughs> so so they grab onto a very simplistic um, explanation and rationale, and then react to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean it's you know it's it's totally reasonable for people just to want to keep uh, things local and and stuff that they can feel they have an influence over and stuff that's relevant to them in the local communities. That's normal, and that gets back to the idea of the ideal uh, normal situation for uh, for any kind of human being is to live in a relatively small community and have kind of autonomy over over themselves and and their community and and be kind of uh, self sufficient to a large extent. Uh, and be able to chart their own course in life and to be largely independent from the influence of any outside, any power, any other groupings outside of the community, you know. And people naturally gravitate towards that. And so it's understandable, you know. It's just a pity that there's such a bunch of psychos, you know, pulling the strings at the top. Mm-hmm. Well, when we were talking about, you know, all the things going on in Brazil <clears throat> and in Venezuela, you know, it, it's, it's such a, a depressing conversation uh, because of the implications that it has for the people who will be enduring, you know, just such massive suffering and, you know, just the, um, the crushing environment that that creates, you know, it, it makes you wonder, you know, how, how can people get by and, and, you know, keep moving on uh, in such an environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things that you just mentioned about, um, you know, this localized people wanting this localized autonomy, you know, kind of speaks to that. In that, you know, the 
uh, one of the first places that, you know, we can start um, getting through those struggles is basically, you know, um, through yourself um, and, you know, trying to, you know, uh, work through the obstacles that, that are, that are put, you know, right in front of you, um, you know, and, you know, trying to kind of, you know, strategize and plan and prepare, um, that's a, you know, that, that seems to be, you know, a lesson that, you know, we can learn from, uh, people like Putin mm-hmm. and, uh, Chavez is, you know, they, they spend a lot of time uh, preparing, um, and while the everyday person, you know, isn't going to be preparing on you know this this global scale, um, but uh, I think we can do it on an individual level, and you know, that that can help focus the attention to try and get through the, uh, through such things. And I was wondering if other people had thoughts about. Mm-hmm. Well, the the main thought that I have about that is that, uh, and it just came to my mind, is how uh, how that idea of preparing is so natural. You know, it's something you know that's only really been gone for you know what sixty years or something. Mm-hmm. And people, were, that's just how you survive. Mm-hmm. You prepare for winter. You prepare for summer. You you prepare for medical emergencies. Um, but you know, in you know these days, there I guess there's a certain amount of hubris that comes along with the technological changes um, and, you know, just with the general way that we in the West think, you know, that things will always get better. There will always be progress. You know, we can vote in somebody who, you know, will save the day. But, um, you know, we've we've just lost that idea that it's natural to prepare and that we shouldn't just live moment to moment, um, you know, go to the go to work, watch TV, and, you know, there'll be stuff, uh, stuff in our fridge forever. Mm-hmm. But and that's also, you know, it's it's people who prepare are demonized. I mean, they're <laughs> actually literally terrorists. demonized. And yeah. also, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's the idea that and, and maybe there's a sense of guilt because when a poor demon, you know, when you demonize somebody, because here you have the example of somebody who is behaving responsibly, who is taking responsibility for themselves and the demonizers, you know, perhaps feel chided in some way that they are not. Not only demonized, mm-hmm. but criminalized. Mm-hmm. There, there seems to be this kind of uh, mm-hmm. legislative federal uh, label of um, preppers as uh, terrorists. As terrorists. Yeah. And the mm-hmm. two are conflated. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I think yeah. this is a... Go ahead, Joe. I was going to say that uh, I mean it's it speaks to the kind of um, the nature of kind of modern, particularly Western, but increasingly global society that it's all about uh, just having uh, you know life should be fun all the time and getting your jollies and getting your kicks and getting your hits uh, all the time and and never having to suffer or pay anything you know in terms of for 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 life for living life for dealing with uh, what life throws at you. Life should be happy and easy and uh, a breeze all the time, you know. And um, because, I mean, you talk about preparing for stuff, I mean, that involves a certain amount of suffering. First of all, there's like the preparation in terms of uh, looking at what's going on in the world, looking at history, looking at what's happened in the past and what might happen again and taking precautions. Uh, That doesn't obviously, isn't going to make you feel too happy, but uh, then also the the actual hard work that's involved in preparing for those kind of... uh, uh, you know, bad times basically also involves a certain amount of suffering. But like you've been saying, 
people are discouraged, you know, aggressively discouraged and even criminalized for, for doing that and told to just focus on getting their, their superficial uh, kind of kicks and hits and little bits of uh, stimulation here and there uh, and, and, and ignoring the responsibility they all have every human being has to look at the world around them and see where it's going and prepare for uh, bad things that can happen because, you know, the world isn't a, isn't such a rosy place. But, and I mean, that's the schizophrenic kind of aspect of it where people can see that the world is going to hell, you know, but what they do is, and, and what they're encouraged to do is just look away from it and keep their nose in their video games or in their TV or get drunk more often or take more drugs, whatever, you know. And I mean, all of these signs in that planet right now that people even get a glimpse of now and again are telling people, that things are going bad and bad things may be coming down that down the line to a neighborhood near you. But it's completely uh, just anti-intellectual, anti, anti-rational uh, and irrational to, to for people to do what, they, what they're doing and what they're encouraged to do, which is just ignore all of that and take no preparation whatsoever, not even in their own minds, not even think about it. They're encouraged to not even think about it. And I mean, the whole thing smacks of a kind of setup as if someone's kind of like some elite or, or controllers or power in this world is, is in some way, has in some way orchestrated it so that what happens so that people would be kind of held in this kind of stasis or in this uh, kind of dissociated delusional state as things get worse and worse and worse around them and, they're con- and, and as things get worse, they're the pressure is put on them to uh, ignore that state of affairs as it gets worse, even more, ignore it, ignore it more, ignore it more. And I mean, that's just a recipe for disaster because uh, it's like, I don't know, when you use this analogy of a big space rock coming, you see the space rock far away and somehow someone can convince you just to, yeah, just pretend that's not there. You know, look the other way, go and have some fun. And then you have another look and now it's closer. Oh, I don't worry about that. No, seriously, here, have some more drugs. I mean, what? <laughs> where is the human, human intellect involved in that? Where the basic thing of you know, see threat, do something to protect yourself. I mean, that's been subverted, and as if people are being set up just to basically be, be, be have a really nasty, unpleasant wake up call at some point. You know. Well, I thought so that you uh, you kind of brought this point home recently with your uh, new article on SOT. And, mm. um, you know, you, you were kind of looking at nature and the story about the lion who disembowels the, um, I think it was an, an, a bison. Buffalo or, or something. A buffalo yeah. and takes the baby out and now everybody's horrified and you're saying, okay, but, uh, but we have an intraspecies predator who's mm. basically doing this to other humans, uh, mm. which, which, is a, which is a phenomenon that's largely ignored. Or mm. not recognized for what it is, right. um, and that and that without this recognition, uh, basically we're going to become the food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's this kind of rose-colored view of everything that happens in the world, and uh, people can't even look at uh, nature, which is there to a large extent, or to to, to a certain extent, is there for or is available for human beings to study and to understand, and people won't even accept. Uh, the basic facts about nature, which is like what I was saying in that article, is that it's basically nature is every, something eating, everything eating everything else, or something, one thing eating another thing, um, and uh, people won't even accept that about about nature. You know, they want to look at the nice, uh, 
you know, the nice, nice pictures of the wonderful animals and the little wiggly worms and all this kind of <laughs> stuff and blah, blah. And they don't recognize that any of what's, what's really going on, you know, and it's okay. It's one perspective on it, but it's a very serious perspective. It's a very true and real perspective on it, you know. I mean, I'm reminded of uh, a couple of months ago or something, some guy on my Facebook wall posted a, <clears throat> uh, I think this is what kind of came to me when, or was part of the idea when I read that uh, bison story and this, uh, this uh, memory came back to me of a guy on my Facebook wall who posted a picture, a short video of a, of an eagle swooping down, you know, in kind of slow motion, real high def video of an eagle swooping down and uh, snatching a fish out of the, a fairly big fish out of out of a lake or the sea or something. And his comment on it was, "Isn't nature awesome?" And I and I looked at it and I went, "Poor fish." <laughs> not for the fish. The fish is not impressed. I just, I just thought, imagine that was like me or something. Imagine I was swimming in the ocean, <laughs> and a big, a big pair of sharp claws came down and pulled me out by the neck and kind of took me off and pulled me apart. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. Okay, I mean, it's perspective and stuff. Okay, it's not me, but shit. I don't know. Is it? Is it awesome? Uh, uh, it depends what it, like I said in the article, it depends what you mean by awesome, you know. So people can accept the fact that at least that side or that view of nature, that really definite, real part of nature, which that is that it, it, it's consumption, it's consuming. Mm-hmm. It's one, one being or entity consuming another. If they can't even accept that, um, then how are they ever going to go to the point or get to the accept or even look at the idea that um, that there may be uh, a certain level of consumption and eating and feeding on human beings, uh, that that is the essence of what we're seeing uh, in the world today um, in all of these events that people are encouraged to look away from and that it's effectively one group of human beings who have a strange proclivity to effectively feed on, not directly as in, in the animal kingdom, but in, in a certain energetic sense and indirectly in a very real sense, sense where, as I was saying in the article, where you have um, you know people making profit from the death of other people, mm-hmm. and well, if that if the profit they make allows them to eat better or eat more, you know have a, have the finest foods uh, possible because they have made money from selling weapons that killed other people, is that not a type of feeding? Uh, yeah. But you're never going to get anybody to even look at that as a possible plausible. Uh, idea or concept when you can't even get people to look at nature from which they are, you know, largely detached because it's a different species. You can't even get people to look at other species that are, you know, quote unquote below us and recognize well, I, that feeding goes on there. I think the it, it's the, it's people are detached because it's different species, but it's also that we're de- completely detached from, from nature in general. I mean, it's, it's mm. pretty ironic that, you know, people are, sitting inside looking at, you know, pictures of how awesome nature is and, or, you know, videos on Facebook saying nature is right. so great when, you know, it's, they haven't <laughs> it's set done in, in this decades. vacuum from, from, you know, the separation from nature. Anybody who's spent, you know, um, weeks or, you know, any period of time out in nature, you know, gets to feel and witness firsthand how, uh, how one, how, just how unpleasant, <laughs> unpleasant right. it is. And just you know that you know you're constantly eaten by bugs and sunburn right. and you know it's it's not it's not go spend, a walk go on spend the beach. a couple of weeks <laughs> go, yeah, go spend a, go spend a week uh, or two, a couple of weeks in the uh, in the rainforest somewhere 
Exactly. Yeah. If you come out without like some kind of deadly snake bite or spider bite or covered in you know kind of yeah, if you come out at all, <laughs> or if you come out at all, yeah, and you'll have learned something, you know. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, how do we get on this topic anyway? Um, <laughs> well, I mean, you, you, you can go back I think it's up a and detachment, say, the detachment from reality yeah. that uh, yeah. that that people have. Um, I mean, you scale it back up and say certain countries are feeding on other countries. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, it's a level of consumption, obviously. I mean, we talked about, you know, about, you know, the U.S. Getting, going into countries and trying to, they're basically consuming other countries' natural resources. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're also... Those natural, uh, and those natural resources, if, if, not, if not consumed by the U.S., for example, they would be, they would go to producing a better quality of living, including better quality of food uh, and more food, for example, for more people in that country. But if the U.S. comes in and consumes that energy and takes it away, then they're basically starving people in, mm-hmm. those, in that country, and those people ultimately die. And not so, only that, I mean, you look, at, you look, you look, at, you look at nature, and what happens is when the consumption of nature is one animal goes over and uh, consumes the other animal, and that the other animal dies. Uh, in the human world, you have you know psychopaths of power like in the US who go into a country take out nat- the natural resources i.e. consume them and the end result is that a lot of people die mm-hmm. it's not that far uh, far-fetched an analogy it's not it's quite close in fact you know no, it's just a different order and not, not only that you get the, the psychopathic point of view I mean it's it's not it goes beyond just one needs to eat another to survive, but I mean, there's there's the U.S. trying to corral all the resources for themselves. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. it's excessive greed. It's greed yep. as a sickness. You know, where well, these yep. people are getting more and more and more and more when they have already have far more than they could ever. It's gone beyond money. It's even gone beyond power. It's simply feeding and consuming for its own sake. That's when you get to the really end, far end of the spectrum. Where well, these mm-hmm. people are doing it because it is what they like to do. It's like they have, they have more money than they can ever possibly use, you know, let's say billions or trillions in the bank. They have all the power they could possibly, you would think, possibly ever want to wield, you know, influence over people. There's hundreds, thousands, millions of people that they can influence, but it's not enough. Mm-hmm. Well, where do they go? Of, well, speaking of um, U.S. consumption uh, on a global scale, um, and I thought we were just... Uh, kind of round out the the whole Empire Strikes Back theme of today's show uh, with the, an expansion on um, the U.S.'s uh, influence on India, another one of the BRICS countries. Mm-hmm. And um, some very interesting, uh, although more subtle developments have been happening there that threaten to pull out, pull India out of the, uh, the, the kind of the spirit of BRICS, um, in a major way. And Carolyn, I was wondering if you could just give us a quick rundown of what we've been seeing recently in India. Okay. Well, actually I'm not so prepared <laughs> on India, but what I was, Oh, there we go. But what, what I was more looking at was the idea that, that, you know, everybody says, Oh my God, looks what's going on in Brazil. And Oh my God, here's this stuff going on in India and South Africa is having its own issues and they're seeing them as separate, separate incidents. Brazil's having issues and then, you know, attacking on Venezuela and, well, we won't even talk about China. But it is seems it is part of, and a lot of people don't seem to see this, it seems it's part of a larger strategy to squash this competing hegemon, which has a far different philosophy than the U.S. hegemon, 
uh, in its infancy. So this this idea of dividing and conquering. Um, so in India, they um, <clears throat> they're already having problems, and and the U.S. seems to to uh, want to exacerbate it. India has been moving closer to China. It makes economic sense. They're close by. Um, they have uh, border issues, uh, which I guess they were trying to to solve, but the U.S. is busy in there stirring them up. India was uh, – they're going to enhance their commercial ties by becoming a measure of the uh, uh, the ASEN. I'm not quite sure what that stands for, Asian South Economic something. But uh, the U.S. is in there now, you know, kind of bribing them with, you know, we'll upgrade your military. We're going to do this. We're going to do that, you know, and, and just without <clears throat> being obvious about it, trying to lure India away from a closer – economic union with China, with the BRICS. Um, it's just really nefarious. Well, yeah, Modi has met with Obama like four times in the past year, past two years, mm-hmm. which is kind of unprecedented. And they've basically signed this, they've got this agreement with the U.S., this uh, logistics service agreement, which basically gives the U.S. the right to station troops in India. There's this military cooperation thing going on, and mm-hmm. this... Uh, this is kind of really putting India at odds with China because there are existing tensions, like, like long-standing tensions between India and China relating to a few areas, one of which is Nepal. There's a this kind of another small region that's um, kind of disputed. And with this agreement in place, it, the, the U.S. now has the, the ability to put troops in these contested, contested regions in their campaign against China. And so China has already responded and has upped their troops on the border of India. And basically it's setting, it's just, it's putting the, the eye in the sea in ricks in, in conflict with each other. And I think China has a, pretty much has a, a right to be pretty pissed off. It looks like India and Modi have basically stabbed them in the back. And one of the issues for, just for example, um, well, before getting to that, if you want to check it out, we've got two articles on SOT by um, Andrew Karibko from the Duran new website by Alexander Mercurius and Peter Lavelle from RT that they've put together. And so if you just search them on SOT, India's in the title, both of them. First one, we've got the title, um, India is it now a U.S. ally? And the pivot state, India's pro-U.S. realignment, a threat to Russia, China, BRICS, Southeast Asia. And just one of the just one example is that the the Indians India has basically hosted these U.S. supported proxy terrorist groups in the region and has allowed them to just well to be there. There's this thing called the Ajar Isa affair, and it's got it's about this guy um, Dolkun Isa. He's one of the most notorious political figures, providing political cover to the Uyghur. Um, terrorist movement in China, well, it's threatening China in the Xinjiang region, and they, India gave him a visa and to come to, to India, and to come along with him were um, leaders from basically all the other anti-Chinese groups, the Tibetan, Xinjiang, Inner Mongolian, and, pro, and pro-demo- pro-democracy groups, also all happened to be U.S.-based. So India is basically providing a forum for all these anti-Chinese groups, and like the well, it's it's pretty much like what's going on in Syria. 
with the moderate rebels and ISIS. It, it's kind of the equivalent of that, of Turkey, you know, putting up all these anti-Syrian groups and sending them in from Turkey. Same thing, similar thing is going on in India. So there's that going on. In South Africa, again, the, the same scenario is kind of playing out as in Venezuela and Brazil, where the... Um, there's a whole bunch of just, well, just the same stuff, the the CIA doing their thing. And the, um, the who was it? The, one of, well, one of the South African politicians has come out accusing the, the CIA through the U.S. Embassy of organizing opposition movements and even hiring organized crime to burn down 19 schools in the Limpopo province. And, yeah, it's, so they're, they're basically fostering this color revolution mentality, um, trying to ramp up the opposition against the ruling ANC, which after the fall of apartheid came to power. And, of course, um, like with any government that comes into power, and especially after a big change like that, they haven't done everything right. They haven't been able to, you know, create this utopic society, which is natural, but they, but the, this manufactured opposition seems to be ignoring all of the things that they've actually been able to accomplish, which is a lot more than they have been, have gotten credit for. And so it's just one more venue in the, one more theater of this covert war against any, any kind of non-aligned movement or anti-imperial, anti-unipolar hegemonic movement, which is, um, you know, exemplified today by BRICS nations, among others. So, not a very, um, well, not a very good scenario. When you just when you think of like the U.S. or the American empires being like a hegemon, it seems if you like define a hegemon as being like the natural world leader, uh, you know, that leads the world in you know a certain maybe a positive direction. If you define it like that, it's like the U.S. is the anti-hegemon. Uh, the BRICS is the hegemon, uh, or at least the developing one, that is, you know, has much more creative force in terms of their economic projects and their their mutual uh, agreements um, and just political savvy. Whereas the U.S. is just going to do go to all ends to utterly destroy any attempt to evolve the world uh, the world's globalization process. Um, and you know, all of this is tied right back to their unconventional warfare uh, decisions and uh, processes that involve, you know, supporting insurgency and just blasting the world with propaganda, uh, screaming, you know, that these, um, you know, that Venezuela is a national security threat and, and all this nonsense to get people, you know, behind this, this anti-hegemon that seeks to destroy world progress. And they're doing a great job of it, as we've seen, you know, just in this roundup of what's happened in Brazil, in Venezuela, in India, in South Africa. Uh, it, they're they're very active and they're very savvy because, as Joe said, they're predators and they act like predators. And people uh, around the world who don't even understand what a predator does in the wild and that don't understand themselves and don't understand politics are endangering themselves tremendously because of this ignorance and it's you know it's a serious serious issue it's not just geopolitics what happens over there whatever it's a it is a worldwide push and we see it here in the states we see it all across the world and it's and it's continuing to ramp up its intensity 
And I think that we are, uh, we're only going to see things get worse because people obviously aren't waking up. Yeah, Corey, it, I mean, it just seems as though what we're, what we're literally seeing is a kind of battle for the soul of whole nations that collectively make up a, a, the battle of the soul of, of humanity uh, in, in a kind of a way. And it just seems that the U.S. has this, uh, this tool chest of, uh, of, of warfare and they pull out any tool uh, that's best suited to the particular country they want to undermine and take control of. Um, and, you know, it's just, it, it, it's, it's almost shockingly effective in some ways. Mm -hmm. um, because, I mean, you know, uh, he, here we have this, uh, this coup in, in Brazil, and, uh, and now we're hearing about how India is inviting these uh these kind of for all intents and purposes terrorist supporters uh it's appealing to the worst nature of india this kind of nationalistic uh power hungry fervor as opposed to their uh multipolar uh tendencies and there is literally this kind of push pull um and uh it, it we're just watching in real time how, you know, if, if you kind of scale down all of these countries to individuals, if you just imagine that they're one single person or entity, uh, how they're being corrupted uh, by, the, by this pathological force that's sweeping mm -hmm. uh, the globe, quite literally. Well, we're, we're at an hour and a half, so we're going to wrap it up pretty soon. Are there any other stories really quick that we wanted to get in there and talk about? What do you guys think? As the pages rustle. <laughs> well, the, yeah, I, I, the only thing that I wanted to, to comment on is just the, the mass, you know, mass protest craziness going on in France. Um, it seems like, uh, you know, I'm not exactly 100 percent sure, uh, you know, they've got a new protest movement out. I'm not sure if it's, uh, you know, it's developing a new Occupy type flavor. At least that's the kind of um, that's how the media portrays it. But at the same time, you know, France is, is like the headlines say, they're erupting, you know, thousands, thousands of people uh, taking to the streets to protest the, you know, the uh, eradication, uh, the ruthless eradication of their civil rights and the, just how the French security crackdown, so to speak, has uh, been decimating uh, Muslim communities and people, you know, they're doing night raids into, into houses, you know, uh, brutalizing the men, women, and children, and turning it into you know like a, a Iraq uh, situation, and the French people seem to me to be uh, in some way you know awake to to what's going on and, and enraged, if only because of their you know this la these labor reform bill that's come out and is really hitting them where it hurts, you know in their their rights as as workers and trying to eradicate their rights. So that's. It's just one development that seems to be um, increasing. Well, we've got a call. We'll we'll take the call. Maybe we'll get some comments on the French issue afterwards if we've got any. So, caller, are you there? Do you do you read? <laughs> do you oh, hear me? Hi. Yes. Who do we have on the line? It's Anais. Hey, Anais. How's it going? Uh, it's going well. I just, I mean, I had a few things to comment, and I wasn't sure if the microphone would work. Well, it's working. So I just wanted to. Uh, well, I had a few things, but <laughs> but basically, um, 
to wrap it up, I was just thinking of Elon saying about the psychopathy, the predator nature taking over in our world, and Joe commenting about how nature functions. And I think it was uh, Shane or Corey mentioning about um, that it's not all pessimistic. I mean, it is pessimistic. But I think that's what we can learn from nature as well. And uh, someone was, as the C said about Caesar when he was on, um, that that the only chance is if we start with when people are young uh, to educate people. And I think that's the only way we can't change the system directly. Um, so if you look at the tree, um, I know a little bit about trees. And in France, for instance, an oak tree would be about 160 to 200 years old before you harvest it. So it's something that's been growing for a long time. And to get a tree of that strength uh, and that size, you know, you need to have a good root system. And I think that's what we have to uh, we have to concentrate on that uh, to develop the new route to for the young generation, for the people who come, um, not just the children but the grandchildren, for those who come after us to spread this knowledge. I think um, that's what we have to go for. Yeah. Our generation is lost. <clears throat> well, all the generations are lost by now. We, we need a new generation. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's kind of like Nancy was saying, you know, we, we don't really have too many roots, particularly in, you know, in, in the West and you can really see it in, in the United States. Uh, the roots that make up uh, society, you know, just aren't there. Mm -hmm. It's it's a very shallow uh, system that that we live in, and you know, people don't have those connections, and, and you know, that is really what you know builds a society, builds a community, is is those connections. So you know, maybe we can start on a very very local level, you know, building those connections with each other, and you know, that that might be a, a start. Yeah, I mean, I think that's very true. When you think of the uh, neocons and the liberal, I mean, the neoliberals or whatever you want, the psychopath, basically, when you see this is such a long, long movement. I mean, they've been, they have deep roots. They have been going at it for hundreds of years, and it takes a long time to uproot this and to spread new knowledge about how to to be in this and. It's easy to blame Chavez and Putin for not doing more and why don't they go in Ukraine and Syria much more. And, but, you know, it, it's, uh, they don't have that power. And, and uh, people have to be educated first in order to understand what their steps are so that they can back it up. Because if the people go against the leader, then they're gone. And... Uh, and they don't rise up. I mean, now we look in France, that's just an example. Uh, I, I read on the stock page, there were 50,000 people demonstrating in Paris, but 50,000 is nothing. It is absolutely, it's, it's uh, depressing to see that only, only 50,000. It's a town of the greater Paris is, about, I think, 12, 12 million people. Mm. And this is something that is affecting people massively. But they are, as has been talked about uh, on the show, they are distracted 
and it, they don't think it, it matters to them. Well, that's what we were saying earlier on on the show that uh, only a small percentage of people who actually uh, of, of any population anywhere will will get out in the street and protest, uh, and usually it's um, you know uh, fairly fairly benign or peaceful uh, protests. But uh, these the policies of these of our global leaders uh, runs a very clear risk or very definite risk of um, of pushing it pushing the suffering of the ordinary people to the point where uh, a much higher percentage, if not all the people of this, like Paris, would eventually get out onto the streets. Uh, and that's something that people have never, that's never been, uh, that can't be budgeted for because it's never happened before, you know. We've never had 8 billion people on the planet before. You've never had such a concentration of psychopaths and positions of power abusing the people of the planet. So when you have millions and millions of people on the streets, or more, tens of millions of people on the streets, and all very, very angry, um, well, who knows? Yeah, I mean, when you think of the 1960s, and that they were able to have marches of a million people, and here we are 50, 50 years later, and the population is so much bigger, and... Uh, yeah. It's uh, pretty dismal. Well, it says so, it speaks speaks a lot to the amount of despair that uh, the system's been able to produce. I mean, between the fear if I do get out and the why bother, you know, mm. that's what you get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, thanks uh, so much. Uh, did you have another point, Aeneas? No, no. Okay, I'll make that another time. <laughs> all, right, all right, thanks, Aeneas. Thanks Thank for calling you. In. Thank you. Thanks, yeah. See you. Bye. Joe, did you want to add to that or comment nope. on anything else we were discussing? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> We've said our piece this week right. yep. at Behind the Headlines. And on that note, uh, I want to thank everybody for listening in and, and chatting and Stephen from calling in. It's good to hear you again, Stephen. Uh, Aeneas, our other caller. Uh, we appreciate you calling in. Uh, we want to remind everyone that next Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, we have the Health and Wellness Show. Uh, don't miss it. And um, I want to thank our editors here and you, Joe, for sharing your insights with everyone. It was a pleasure. Good. For us as well, I think. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, we'll see you next week. Until then, everybody, be safe. And thanks for um, listening. All right. Take have care, a good everyone. evening. Bye-bye. Right, have a great bye, week, everybody. Hey, okay, bye-bye.